0: Many of you know, many of you know that I, love, that I love roller coasters, right? I love all kinds of roller coasters. I love the ones that go up and down, side to side, upside down, inside out, over 60, 70, 80 miles an hour. I love all kinds of roller coasters. I love all kinds of exciting and thrilling. And suspenseful roller coasters and maybe that is why maybe that is why I love the book of Acts so much maybe that is why I love this book that we've been reading together as a church family over the last several weeks for those of you who are members of this church family the Mona Vista church family you know For the last three weeks, we've been making our way through the book of Acts. In fact, this week, we're going to begin reading Acts chapter 4, and already so far in this reading, we have been on one big roller coaster ride. For example, in Acts chapter 2 the chapter we read from a couple of weeks ago. Remember in that chapter, we read about the Apostle Peter in the city of Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, preaching a powerful sermon about Jesus and the salvation found in Jesus, and 3,000 people responded to that message with faith and repentance and baptism for remission of sins, and the Lord's church came into existence. Remember in Acts chapter two, we read about the preaching of the gospel experiencing tremendous success but when we got to Acts chapter 3 we saw that after healing a lame man by the power of God the Apostle Peter once again in the city of Jerusalem he preaches another powerful sermon about Jesus only that time the preaching of the gospel did not result in thousands and thousands of people getting baptized for remission of sins That time, the preaching of the gospel did not result in people becoming disciples and members of the Lord's church. It didn't result in multitudes of people being added to their number. Instead, on that occasion, the preaching of the gospel resulted in persecution. It resulted in rejection. It resulted in both the Apostle Peter and the Apostle John being beaten and thrown in jail and brought before the Jewish Sanhedrin council. That is exactly what we're going to read about in the first half of Acts chapter four. You see, in the first 22 verses of Acts chapter four, we're going to see the devil go to work. We're going to see the devil try to hinder the growth of the church. We're going to see Satan try to stop the progress of the gospel with Jewish opposition. Both the apostle Peter and the apostle John are going to be brought before the Jewish leaders and they're going to be threatened. And they're going to be mocked and they're going to be ridiculed and they're going to be commanded to stop teaching and preaching about salvation found in Jesus Christ and him being raised from the dead. They're going to be told to stop spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they won't be intimidated. They won't be bullied or pressured or persuaded. They stop preaching about Jesus Christ. In fact, when we get to verse number 23 of Acts chapter 4, we're going to find these two apostles doing something very interesting once they are released by the council. In Acts chapter 4, we're going to start reading in verse 23. I hope you'll join there with me this morning. In Acts chapter 4, put your Bible marker there. That's where this study is going to come from. After Peter and John are arrested by the council, and after they're mocked and ridiculed and threatened, they're told to stop preaching about Jesus being raised from the dead. And also after in verse 20, they're told they, they tell the council we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. In verse number 23, he goes on to say, when they have been released, they went to their own companions and reported all of the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, when the church heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit, the mouth of your of our father, David, your servant said, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devised futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. Verse 27, for truly in this city, in Jerusalem, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you've anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word. With all confidence, while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. I want you to notice a couple of very important observations from these verses we just read together. First, I want you to notice how after being threatened and beaten and released by the Jewish council. In verse number 23, the scripture says that Peter and John went and reported what had happened to them to the church. They went to the brethren. They went and told the brethren about what had happened to them. And once the brethren heard their report, the next thing they all did together was they prayed. They pray to God. They pray together. They pray together about the about the persecution they were facing in the cause of the gospel. This is something that I really want us to emphasize this morning because it can be easy to overlook this. It can be easy to kind of just blitz through this and miss this. It can be easy to neglect seeing that in addition to the book of Acts being a book about evangelism and church growth and the spread of the gospel, this book is also about prayer. This book is also about the prayers of the people of God. In Acts chapter 2 in verse number 42, if you remember, after the church came into existence, The Bible says that the early Christians, the early saints, continued devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to what? And to prayer. When we got to Acts chapter 6 and verse 6, or when we get to Acts 6 and verse 6, we're going to see that after the first deacons, I believe the first deacons, are appointed in the church to help take care of needy widows, The apostles prayed over these men. They prayed for these men, and then they laid their hands on them. In Acts chapter 12 and verse number 5, after the apostle Peter is locked up in prison by Herod Agrippa, the scripture says that the church came together in the home of John Mark's mother, and they prayed. They prayed for the apostle Peter while he was locked up in prison. And then in Acts 13 and verse 13, before the church in Antioch sent off Barnabas and Paul on a preaching journey, the scripture says that the brethren prayed for them. They prayed and they fasted. And then in Acts 20 in verse 36, while on his way to Jerusalem with a contribution for the needy saints there, the apostle Paul then met, he first met with the elders from Ephesus and he prayed with the elders. He prayed with the shepherds of the church at Ephesus. And then in these verses in Acts chapter four, after Peter and John are arrested and beaten and threatened and commanded not to preach anymore about Jesus Christ, they gathered with the church in Jerusalem and they prayed. Notice how prayer played a huge role in the early church. Prayer played a huge role in the work and the success of the early church. In fact, when it comes to this prayer that we read about in Acts chapter 4, I want to suggest that there are some critical lessons that I think we need to appreciate from their prayer that can help us as God's people as we pray to God today. You see, here in Acts chapter 4, one of the lessons that we can learn about prayer from the early Christians is when we study their prayer very carefully, one of the things we notice is prayer well prayer was their first option prayer was their first not second not third it was their first option it was the first thing they did When they experienced a time of crisis in verse number 24, it says, when they heard this, when they heard about the persecution that Peter and John had received, they raised their voices to God with one mind. Some translations say they did it with one accord. And they said, Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything that is in them. Notice how after experiencing persecution for the first time in the cause of the gospel, the early church didn't quit. They didn't throw in the towel. They didn't gripe. They didn't complain. They didn't shake their fist at heaven and blame God. They didn't walk around with their heads down or go home and lay in the bed all day, staring at the wall with the curtains closed. They didn't allow the devil to render them useless in the cause of God. Instead, they talked to God. They prayed to God. They did exactly what Peter talks about in 1 Peter five and verse seven. And that is they cast all of their anxieties upon God because they knew that God cared about them. When facing a moment of crisis in their lives, their first inclination was to pray. It was to petition their heavenly father. That was the first thing they did. And just like that was their first inclination when they started facing challenges and times of crisis in their lives. Guess what? That needs to be ours as well. That needs to be mine as well. That needs to be yours as well. When we go through moments of crisis and discouragement and pain and sorrow and even opposition from those who stand against us and persecute us because of our faith, our first response needs to be prayer. It needs to be talking to God. It needs to be going to God and pouring out our hearts to him. Not because God doesn't already know what's going on and not because God doesn't already know what we need, but because going through that process does something for us. It does something for us as the children of God. It demonstrates where our trust is. It demonstrates where our faith is. It demonstrates that we understand that we are not self-sufficient and capable of taking care of ourselves, but we need God. We need God in every aspect of our lives. We need God to help us with our problems. We need God to help us with our challenges. We need God to help us with the challenges we sometimes have in our marriages. And the challenges we have sometimes raising our kids and we need God to help us battle sin and temptation. And when we fail in sin, we need God to give us some strength and some courage and the ability to keep on running this spiritual race. Whenever we're going through times of crisis and going through times of challenges, our first inclination needs to be praying to God. People who pray to God first in their lives are people who really trust God. There are people who really depend on God. They are people who really believe in the power of God. They're just like these Christians. These Christians had a level of faith that led them to make prayer the first option when they were going through a time of crisis. In fact, not only was prayer their first option, but secondly, I want you to also notice how their prayer was God centered. Their prayer here is God centered. When I say their prayer is God centered, what I mean is this prayer you find here in Acts chapter four. And remember this when you read this chapter this week. This prayer is first and foremost about God. It is first and foremost about glorifying God. It is not first and foremost about themselves. It is not first and foremost about them. It is not me centered. It is not loaded with a bunch of requests about how they want God to make their lives better and give them a bunch of rosy and sunshine days. No, this prayer is about glorifying God. It is about asking for the will of God. In verses 24 through 28 of this prayer, these Christians begin, they begin this prayer by acknowledging their understanding of who God is. They begin this prayer by acknowledging that they know who God is, and they know who God is all about, and they know about what God has done for them and can do for them in their lives. In verse number 24, the Bible says that with one accord, they acknowledge God as the creator. And they acknowledge him as a sustainer and they acknowledge him as the one who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. They acknowledge God as the creator. And then in verses twenty five through twenty eight, they acknowledge the foreknowledge of God. They acknowledge the wisdom of God. They acknowledge the creation of God's plan to save us from our sins through Jesus Christ and how not even evil men of power could stop that plan. King Herod could not stop that plan. The Jewish leaders could not stop that plan. Pontius Pilate could not stop that plan. Not even the strong and ruthless Roman Empire and army could stop that plan. In this prayer, these Christians acknowledge how not even evil men of power could stop the plan of God to save us from our sins through Jesus Christ. And then in verse 29, they beg God to take notice of them. They begged God to take notice of the persecution that they were experiencing and give them the boldness and the courage and the strength to continue on in the cause of the gospel no matter what challenges the devil brought their way. Notice, notice carefully how these Christians did not ask God to remove the persecution. They did not ask God to remove the problem. They did not ask God to eliminate the dangers and the obstacles. They didn't ask God to relieve them of their responsibility to spread the gospel or even strike down their enemies and curse them and kill them on the spot. That is not what these Christians ask for here. Instead, the Bible says they ask for courage. They ask for strength. They ask for confidence to continue doing God's work in spite of being persecuted. This is what the scriptures tell us about the prayer of the early Christians. And here's my question. My question is, what about us? What about me? What about you? Do your prayers, do your prayers sound like this? Do your prayers on a daily basis, do your prayers look like this? When you pray, do you begin your prayers every single day glorifying God? Do you begin your prayers acknowledging that you understand who God is and what he's all about and what he's capable of doing in response to your prayers in addition to praying for the sick? And the shut ins, and even the personal problems you got going on in your life, do you pray for evangelism? Do you pray for evangelism every single day? These Christians are praying about evangelism. Do you pray for open doors of opportunity to teach the gospel? do you pray that you will come into contact with receptive hearts do you pray for courage do you pray for boldness and wisdom and strength to speak to the people that you know who are not christians do you pray about that do you pray for your brethren do you pray for your brethren to have open doors of opportunity to preach the gospel with boldness and wisdom and courage do you pray every day for the preachers that you know? Do you pray for all those preachers we support here at Monte Vista? Do you pray for me? Did you pray for me before you left the house this morning because you wanted God to be with me because you knew I had to stand in front of you all morning and, and teach the most important message in the world? Do you pray? Do you pray about evangelism? Are your prayers loaded? with evangelistic requests like you see here from the early Christians, and when you're going through problems and trials and struggles in your life, when you pray, do you say things to God like, God, if you choose not to take this suffering away from me in my life, can you at least give me the courage to keep going? Can you at least give me strength? Can you at least give me zeal? Can you use me to keep doing your will While I suffer. Can you keep me focused on your work and on glorifying your son while I suffer? Do you pray like that, like the early Christians did and also like the Christians, when you pray like these Christians, when you pray, are you specific? Are you specific in your prayers or are your prayers kind of generic and really kind of thoughtless? When you pray for the sick, do you just say things like God bless the sick or do you name the sick? Do you name the people that you're talking about? Do you verbalize what you need wisdom for? Do you verbalize what you need strength for? Do you verbalize where you want God to help you in your marriage and where you need help raising your kids and what exactly you're struggling with in your faith and what exactly you need strength and endurance for and what specific sins are you asking forgiveness for? Do you pray like that? Or when you pray to God, do you just say, God, give me wisdom? Give me courage. Be with the sick. Forgive me of my sins. The early Christians didn't pray like that. The early Christians were very specific. And the things they appealed to God for, they prayed with purpose. They prayed with purpose. They prayed with a goal in mind. They prayed from the heart. They treated prayer not as something that they're just checking off on a list of spiritual things they have to do, but it's something they needed to do to access the power of God in their lives. That's how the early Christians treated prayer. This prayer is God-centered. It is spiritually rich. It has spiritual maturity with it. They teach us our prayers must be centered on God and they also teach us that our prayers must have confidence. We got to pray with confidence. We got to pray with faith. We got to pray with a strong belief that we understand that God can both hear our prayers and respond to our prayers. Let me tell you something. If the early Christians didn't pray in faith and with great confidence, I don't believe God would have responded in the way that he does in verse thirty one. I don't believe God would have responded by shaking the place where they were gathered together and filling them with the Holy Spirit. There's no doubt that the early Christians prayed in faith and in confidence. And it reminds me of what Jesus said. I want to show you what Jesus says. We're going to come back to Acts 4, I promise. But I want to take you to one other place here in Mark chapter 11. In Mark chapter 11, Jesus has some things to say about this. In Mark chapter 11, remember, this is the occasion when Jesus cursed the fig tree. And the fig tree represented the fruitless fruitless nation of Israel. And Jesus cursed this fig tree, and the apostles were amazed by this. And in Mark chapter 11, in verse number 22, in verse 22, Jesus answered, saying to them, Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. Therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you receive them and that they will be granted to you. Now, There's a lot. There's a lot we could just say about those three verses right there. But for the purpose of this study, what I just want you to see is, according to Jesus, when we pray, when we pray to God, when we pray to our Heavenly Father, we got to have faith. We got to have faith when we pray we got to have a strong belief and confidence in god's ability to both hear and respond to our prayers jesus says that if we don't pray in faith we got no business trying to pray to god at all the early christians prayed in faith and that's how we have to pray every single day every single day we got to pray with belief With confidence, we got to pray with the confidence of knowing that the same God who created all things and sustains all things and refused to allow the devil to destroy his plan to save us through his son, Jesus Christ, that God can also help us today. That same God can also help us with any challenge and any problem we're facing in our lives today. That God is also worthy of us praying in faith today. He is also worthy of us praying in faith about all those sick people who are in our family talk this morning. And he's worthy of us praying in faith about all the personal struggles and all the personal challenges we're going through in our lives. And he's worthy of us praying in faith about our prodigal children or our prodigal grandchildren. And he's worthy of us praying in faith about evangelism and the growth of this church and about giving us open doors of opportunity to preach the gospel and having the wisdom and the strength and the boldness to go through those doors where they present themselves in our lives. We serve the same God that these Christians did 2000 years ago and so when we pray we gotta pray in faith we gotta pray in confidence to the great God of heaven and then this brings us to the last thing we want to say Is from the early Christians we see that when we pray we don't need to always do it alone we don't need to always just do it by ourselves while there are examples In the Bible of Jesus and other faithful servants of God, making a serious effort at various times to get away from large crowds of people and get alone all by themselves to talk to the Heavenly Father while the Bible is loaded with all those kinds of examples. Also in the Bible, we find examples like this where we need to pray with other people where Christians need to pray together, where members of a spiritual family need to talk to God together. Isn't that verse number 24 of Acts chapter 4? Remember in verse number 24 of Acts chapter 4, the scripture t- tells us that these early Christians, they lifted their voices to God in one accord. In verse number 31, the Bible says that they prayed together Jesus actually also did this with his disciples on several occasions remember in Luke chapter 11 there we find Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray and the Apostle Paul in Acts 20 he prayed with the Ephesian elders and then remember when the Apostle Peter had been locked up by Herod Agrippa Christians met at the home of John Mark's mother and they prayed. They prayed together for the Apostle Peter. And remember when Paul and Silas were locked up in a Philippian jail cell in Acts chapter 16, the Bible says that while they were in chains and before that big earthquake took place, they were doing two things. They were singing and praying. Singing and praying together. I want to suggest that there is so much value. There's so much value in Christians doing that. There's so much value in us praying together as a a church family, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Doing that unites us. It empowers us. It encourages us. It provides us with an avenue to bear each other's burdens. It takes a passage like James 5 and verse 16 to a whole nother level. I mean, if the prayer, if the prayers of one righteous man accomplishes much, what about the prayers of two? And what about the prayers of 10? And what about the prayers of 50 and 100 and even 150 like we're going to have here worshiping God in this place today? What about the prayers of a Christian couple? What about the prayers of a Christian father and a Christian mother and Christian children? What about the prayers of an entire eldership? What about the prayers of brothers and sisters who decide to be devoted to hospitality and spend time together in prayer outside of this building? The early church, they spent numerous occasions, praying together as one, and that's what we need to do today. That's what we need to do as the people of God today. In fact, going back to this text one more time, I want you to notice in verse number 31 of Acts 4 how after begging God for more boldness and confidence and strength to continue preaching the word of God, the scripture says that God responded god responded to their prayer god responded in a very powerful and dramatic way and while god won't respond to our prayers in that exact same way today while this church building is not going to be shaken when we engage in prayers to god today god will still listen to us god still will Consider our prayers and he'll respond providentially in our best interest. He will grant requests for boldness and wisdom and courage and strength to continue on in this wicked and sinful world. He will continue to respond to the prayers of his people because prayer is one of the great privileges given to his people. It is one of the great privileges given to the children of God, and maybe you sit there this morning and realize that you are not part of God's family. Maybe you sit there this morning and realize that you're not part of this church that the book of Acts and the entire New Testament talks about that Jesus established. If that describes you this morning, then I want you to know that, that prayer is not going to benefit you in your life until you become part of the family of God. And you become part of the family of God not by saying a prayer, but by doing the same thing that people did in the book of Acts by believing in Jesus Christ, repenting of your sins, and being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. If you're baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, God will add you to the same church that these Christians were members of, and you can enjoy all the privileges. All the spiritual privileges like prayer that are granted to the people of God. And so if we can help anyone this morning become a Christian, then you come to the front right now and we'll help you. Let's stand. Let's sing together.